So last service, I wore the belt and I almost didn't get it off. So I learned a lesson. I'm bringing it up and uh, we're under construction. So I hope you're ready to go to work. It's the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the reason that we're under construction is because Jesus is talking about building. He's wrapping up this message we've spent the entire summer going over. It's that important. Remember back at the beginning, what we said is he went away just a little bit off the Sea of Galilee up onto this hillside that's kind of a natural amphitheater. But, but even more significant than that was the place that he went to was what the Bible refers to as the quiet place that he would go on his own to pray and bring his disciples with. And that's where we get the Beatitudes. Jesus gives the Beatitudes to his disciples. And then what we find out as we got into the text that because he'd been doing miracles, people were following him and they, they came up from town. They came from the villages around them. And there was a crowd that began to grow. The more that he talked, the more people came and followed him. And so as the Sermon on the Mount is going on, there are more and more people that are coming. And so we kind of imagine Jesus' attention going from the disciples to the crowd. And now the disciples had come out of the crowd, but they were also going to go back and minister to the crowd. But they were no longer the crowd because now they were Christians. They were disciples. And that's a key thing to understand. But Jesus is preaching all about what it is to live as a follower of his. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, this whole idea of being under construction, uh, you know, it's something that we've been about here from the beginning. We've never, never occupied a building that was done. We've always been working on, on doing something. We're always under construction because as people, we're always under construction. And so this message today, this ties in pretty well to who it is that we are as a congregation. We're always understanding and learning and growing as Christians. And what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is giving us the words to live by as disciples of his, how to conduct ourselves in this world. Jesus is full of life lessons, encouragements, warnings, cautions. Unfortunately, you, you and I, we, we've kind of got a problem. And our problem is, is that we take the words of Jesus, we read the Bible, we, we hear someone say them to us, and we say, that's a great idea. I agree. That's absolutely right. The, the problem for us is that we're not so good at putting them into practice. We hear them. We don't always do them. And Jesus is aware of that, which is why... This life that he wants for us is very different than the life that we choose to live. And he makes that clear. The, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he makes that so clear for us. They may be the most important words of the whole message. And this whole day that he spent with this crowd, maybe the very end is the most important because he gives us a warning. And it's one that we've got to be careful that we listen to and that we make sure that we understand it fully. Because when your day comes, and what I mean by your day, the day of judgment. When the day of judgment comes, you don't want to get this one wrong. This thing that Jesus talks about today is so important that we want to make sure we understand and that we get it right. So if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. He's just talked about a tree and its fruit and how a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, is going to have fruit that is consistent with what it should be to be a follower of Jesus, that we should be known by our good fruit in our lives. And then he goes on in verse 21 because people are going to be watching, right? People are going to be looking for the evidence of our life. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father 
who is in heaven. Okay, now wait a minute. You mean we need to do something other than call on the name of Jesus? I thought salvation was a free gift. That's what some people are going to say. I thought that it was easy to be a Christian. What do you mean you got to do something about it? What's the first thing that happens when someone gives you something of value? You're grateful. You say thank you. And maybe the thing that they gave you is so far beyond your ability to repay them. It's so far beyond your ability to even express gratitude that, that you're not sure what to do. That really is the gift of salvation that God gives us. There's really nothing that we can do that can possibly express in words our gratitude for the greatness of the gift that He gives us. And so we express our gratitude simply being obedient to Him. Listening to Him. Taking Him at His word. Being willing disciples who live as though we have been changed and saved by His sacrifice. So in the next few verses, going to the next chapter of Matthew, there's an interaction that Jesus has. And it brings all of this into a pretty huge reality. Talking about not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Matthew 8, 28 says, When he comes to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him. Coming out of the tombs, they were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Looking forward... There's this interaction that he has with these two demon-possessed men. But right away, what he's telling us now is that not everyone who uses the name of the Lord is going to be saved. See, the, the name of Jesus is incredibly powerful. The name of Jesus is far more powerful than your name or my name. But just because we know it and speak it doesn't mean the power goes with it if we don't believe it. See, after Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount and the disciples, they walked to the nearest town. And the nearest town was Capernaum. Now, I have to imagine if Jesus had gone away to his quiet place to meet with his disciples in the morning and this whole crowd of people gathered and he spent his whole day preaching that really what he wanted to do was to rest. But there, there really was never much rest for Jesus. So the nearest town that they went to is Capernaum and uh, Capernaum is just down the slope towards the Sea of Galilee. This is a picture uh, that I took last February from Capernaum. Now, I'm actually standing in this photo on the patio outside of the synagogue. So behind me where you're sitting is the synagogue. And it's not terribly large. It's not even as big as this room, all told. Um, that was where Jesus actually had been. He'd been in that synagogue. He spent a lot of time in Capernaum. What you're looking at is the foundations of the homes of the city. And this is what they've excavated. Looking off to this side, there's a lot more of it. Uh, and they haven't excavated the majority, but this part is the part they've built. So when Jesus talks about a home and, and that, that he's looking for a home for us to go to in heaven, this is what people understood. This is the foundation built on the bedrock with stone foundations, and then it was wood that went up in the roof above that. But this is, when he talked, this is what the people understood. This is their perspective. And then if you look at beyond it, there's that circular thing. It looks like there's a, a glass room above it. That's a chapel. And that's actually been built to, to protect from the weather the house that's beneath it. Because the house that's beneath it has been tied to Peter's mother. And the Bible says that when Jesus was in Capernaum, he stayed at the home of Peter's mother. Now, you've got to go back through Jesus' life. An awful lot of his time was actually spent in this house. This is where they stayed when they were in Capernaum. And they spent a lot of time in Capernaum. But Jesus never had a home. He had a childhood home with his parents, but he had never had another home. This was a pretty significant one. This is what he would have considered his home base. And so just to, to make the statement, to bring it into our language, your Savior was a homeless man. 
This is as close to a home as he ever had, and it belonged to the mother of one of his disciples. And when we talk about Capernaum and Peter's mother and all those things, this is where Jesus was. And so he leaves the hill and he goes to Capernaum, probably to Peter's mother's house. But what happens along the way is that he encounters a leper and the leper has such great faith. He says, Jesus, if you just touch the hem of my robe, if you just get close to me, I'll be healed. And the leper is healed. And the next thing he meets is this centurion because the Romans were around everywhere. And the centurion comes up to Jesus and he's got to be tired. And he says, I have a servant that's sick. And if you would just say the word, Jesus, he'll be healed. And Jesus goes to the centurion and says, I, I, your faith is incredible. I, I'm not used to seeing that kind of faith even in Israel. And the servant is healed. And then he goes on a little bit further and it says that he and his disciples go into the boat and they go to the side of the gatherings, to the other side of the lake. And I'll tell you what the other side means in a moment. And Jesus had to calm the storm because his disciples were so afraid. And this is where they encounter the two leopards. The two lepers are, are men, or excuse me, the two demon-possessed men are guys that everybody is afraid of. And the Bible is clear when it says the other side, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the Gadarenes, is, is called the other side because it's the Gentile side. It's the non-Jewish side. It would have been unusual for Jesus and his disciples to go there. But it wasn't the first time that Jesus sent his disciples into the crowd, into the non-believers. And so they've just been through this Sermon on the Mount lesson where the crowd has gathered and Jesus says, let's go to the other side where there's more crowd. And so here's a picture of the other side. And so this is where the pigs, right? The demons go into the pigs. They go down the hill and into the water. The landscape here is very different. You probably know this is the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights is what goes in that direction, continuing to the east. Paul talks about the Decapolis. Decapolis is further away to the south. And this is a view from the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus spent so much of his ministry time. So he goes to the non-Jewish side. And, and, and there speak the other side. And that this is where he encounters the demons. And what we realize is the power in the voice and the name of Jesus. Because he cast the demons out. And, and so in verse 22, we go back to the text now that we're at with a Sermon on the Mount, knowing what's coming ahead. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Jesus knows what's coming. He, he knows what's on the way. He also knows that not everybody who says his name means it in a positive way. Not everybody who knows and speaks his name knows him. This is pretty important for us because an awful lot of us find ourselves in the midst of this verse. Jesus speaks of that day. That day is the day of judgment. And no matter what you believe, every single one of us is going to face the day of judgment. We're going to stand before God and we're going to have to give an accounting of our lives. Christian, non-Christian. Believer, non-believer. Atheist, agnostic. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what it is. You, you can believe in any one of the religions of the world. It really doesn't matter. All of us are going to stand before God. You know, you might say, well, I don't believe in God, therefore I don't believe that there's ever going to be a judgment. I'm not going to stand there. Just because you don't agree with the law or you don't believe in the power of a judge doesn't mean if you break the law, you don't have to stand before the judge. On the day of judgment, your belief is going to make all the difference in the world, but if you don't believe in God, it isn't going to matter one bit. Which means on the day of judgment, here I go, folks, even Oprah's going to stand there. I had to do it. It doesn't matter what you say you believe because all of us will stand in judgment before God. And, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to have to answer to our lives. 
And I have a feeling all of us are going to do basically the same thing. God's going to say something more or less like, so what do you have to say for yourself? And we're going to do our very best to recount our lifetime greatest hits. We're going to go through and, oh, well, do you remember? Did, did you see? Well, I did this one. And, you know, God, nobody actually saw me. Did you catch that one? And God's going to laugh going, I saw everything. I knew every thought. And we're going to have this whole lifetime of greatest hits, which isn't going to go very long. It's not going to last. But there are going to be our moments that we think are worthy of our being able to enter heaven because we've done things that are so great that God can't ignore us. But the thing is, our very best isn't enough to get us into heaven. That, that isn't going to get one step closer. It's our faith in Jesus, our belief in him and in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins that's going to get us into our heavenly home. God isn't impressed with mighty works. He's not impressed with mighty money or mighty words or mighty outspoken religious egos. God is looking for humble hearts and humble servants that love mercy and act justly. And what's going to happen on that day of judgment is we're going to stand and we're going to make our best case. And we said, oh, Jesus, I talked about you all the time. I told my friends about you. I went to church every other Sunday or I went to church every Sunday. Or I went to church four times a year. We're going to do our best to impress God. But then there's one other one that's going to get to speak. And another one is going to be Satan. And I don't know about with your life, but my greatest hits role is going to last about a minute. And Satan is going to be able to take all the time he needs to take. Because my list full of things that condemn me to hell is going to be plenty long. And then one other person gets to speak. What's going to happen is that God is going to look at his son Jesus. And he's going to say, but do you know him? Do you know her? And either Jesus says, yes, she's one of mine. Or Jesus is going to say, no, I don't know that one. And what we do and what we decide and how we live and what we believe and what we do about it in this life is going to define that moment. And that's what Jesus is talking about on that day. And verse 23 says, and to those who say, Lord, Lord, and not mean it. In verse 23 says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then our future is decided. Our eternity is set from the decisions in the life that we lived while we were here on earth. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We get to go to the place of our choosing. And if Jesus says, no, I don't know you, it's all over. Lawlessness really means evildoers, not just people who don't know better, but rather people who intentionally use the name of God to do evil. We see that in our world. We see it in churches. We see it with Christians. You know people like that. People who intentionally use their relationship or their pretend relationship with God to judge and to condemn and to criticize and to humiliate and to embarrass. Those are evildoers. In Acts, in the uh, eighth chapter, we meet a guy named Simon the Sorcerer. And I have to believe that it comes early in the book of Acts because it's an awful lot of what Jesus is talking about here. Here's what it says about him. Now for some time, verse 9, now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. 
Simon claimed, proclaimed, and accepted the adoration of the people as the great power of God, and yet he was nothing but a street magician. He could do sleight of hand. He could get you to look this way and change something over here and think that he had just done some magic, and that's all that it was. And yet he accepted the title of the great power of God, but the only thing great about him was his ego. There's a lot of people in churches today. There's a lot of Christians today. There's a lot of people that stand in pulpits today who talk about their greatness or their holiness or their passion for Jesus more than they talk about Jesus. They accept titles and and accolades that are simply not for them to be able to accept. And yet they do because they're more concerned about themselves than they are in Jesus. They're more worried about making a name for themselves not proclaiming the name of Jesus. So here's what Jesus is telling us. Calling yourself a Christian does not make yourself a Christian. You can call yourself anything you want, but that doesn't make you what, that, what you are. And so my example, quite simply, would be sleeping in your garage doesn't make you a car. I happen to drive a Ford pickup. I've seen pictures. I'd love a Ferrari, but no matter how much I believe it, my Ford is not a Ferrari. And we can so easily deceive ourselves by using words and language and then actually believing it. And that day is going to come when Jesus is going to say to everyone who professes falsely, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Knowing Jesus' name doesn't mean you know Jesus. Accepting the free gift of salvation that's offered through the death and the resurrection of Jesus and then Becoming the new, trans, um, the new creation and being transformed by Jesus is what makes us a Christian. Knowing Jesus' name doesn't mean we know Jesus. Satan knew Jesus' name. He addressed him. He knew what to call him. The demons knew what to call him. See, a personal relationship with Jesus as your Savior, powered by the Holy Spirit and your humility as a servant to our King Jesus... That's what makes you a Christian. Putting other people ahead of yourself. Finally, Jesus goes on here in the Sermon on the Mount and he offers some words of wisdom. He's given us the warning. Now it's wisdom. He says, verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man or a wise woman who built his house on the rock. There's the whole construction theme. Get it? Just all came home right there. For ten years, we have been in buildings that have been intentionally left unfinished. For ten years, the message I have talked to leadership about is we're always under construction. Because something dangerous happens when you think you've finished. Something dangerous happens when you think you're done and, and the work is, work is over. Construction's hard work. And this place always has been, and under my tenure, always will be under construction. Because you and I as Christians are always under construction. And there's a message there. What's important isn't what the outside of a building looks like or take a look, the inside of a building. What is important is what the building is built on, the foundation. What's the heart of the building? Jesus is talking about the importance of the foundation and building on the rock. Earlier we sang that song, Cornerstone. Weak are made strong in him. He carries us through the storm. Wise men and women build their lives on the internal foundation of hope in Jesus. Not your best efforts, not your hard work, not money. 
To do that, we've got to set aside our pride, our selfishness, our rebelliousness that wants to live a life on our own terms. And what we do as humans is, is we want to get Jesus' endorsement on our sin. We want to be forgiven and continue on our way. Instead, we need to hear and study and live the words of Jesus as he speaks them to us, not as we want to apply them. Do you hear that? We need to take the words of Jesus in Scripture and we need to hear them as he speaks them and we need to apply them as he gives them, not run them through our filter and hear them the way that we want them. What happens when we do? Words like that no longer describe us. That's who we used to be before we were transformed. And you probably have your own words. Maybe some of those represent you. Maybe none of them do. But none of them are very good sounding. That's who we were before we were transformed. Now here's the deal. What God does when we become a new creation is well, those things are still in us. They still sneak out of us. That's still the sin that is in us. But no longer are we viewed as a sinner by God. We're viewed as a saint. And those words, they can describe us and they can define us. But if you're a wise man or a wise woman that builds on the rock, maybe you still struggle with them, but they no longer define you. Jesus says in verse 25, The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. He doesn't talk about all the other construction. He talks about the foundation. And storms of life are going to come. You've endured them already. Maybe you're going through one right now. Maybe you're dealing with three of them. And if you don't happen to have any storms around you, you know what? They're going to come. They're going to follow. They are. That's part of life. Loving Jesus doesn't prevent storms. In fact, when you give yourself to passionately pursue Jesus as a disciple of his, you're going to find the lightning strikes hitting a lot closer to you because the enemy is going to try to throw you off your course. But you're also going to realize that the storms don't really matter. Because your conscience is clear and your eternity is secure. It's living for God's affections, not the desires of our affections. And that's the great step that we have to take as a transformed person. Living for what God wants for us, not what we want for ourselves. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. I don't like to be called foolish. But I know some of the things that I've done in my life are, can only be described as foolish. If we're honest, we live an awful lot of our life in foolishness because we live outside of God's will for us. Even though we know better, we justify our sins and we explain them away. And then what we try to do is we point to the sins of other people to try to take the spotlight off of ourselves. And all that we do is increase our foolishness. And Jesus says when we live our life on our own, when we live in rebelliousness, when we don't live according to his will, when we don't put his words into action, we are building our life on a foundation of sand. And those words begin to describe and define us. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And this is the part when it happens, we blame God. We blame God for our problems and our frustrations and our struggles and our circumstances. And the truth is, God doesn't want any of that for us. Sometimes he allows the storms to happen so that we can be strengthened in him. But he doesn't want you to suffer a cataclysmic fall. That's why Jesus is so clear that 
His, God's desire is not that we live life in the shambles of our foolish decisions living on crumbs, but rather that we live according to the words and the commands of Jesus and we live life to the fullness that God created us for. And all of that begins with the foundation that you build your life on. Verse 28, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. That's quite an indictment against the religious leaders of his time. See, these folks had all grown up in the synagogue. They knew religious law. They, they knew what was right and wrong. They were very, there were 600 and some laws they had to follow at this point. But something about Jesus was different. Jesus spoke to them as one who had authority because Jesus was the authority. And I have to believe if we had been there that day, what they would have recognized is that even though Jesus' message was hard, it was harsh. It was hard to hear. It doesn't make us feel good. Jesus delivered it in a way that they understood that this man loved them. This man cared about them. This man wasn't worried about them keeping the law for the sake of the law. This man had a different life that he wanted for them. And they translate that as Jesus having authority but not as their scribes. How do you hear the words of Jesus? Does he have authority in your life? Do you hear it in the love that's intended, or do you just hear it as condemnation and impossible? We've got all these t-shirts on today. Under construction, big under construction theme this morning. We've, uh, we've been pretty loud about under construction. So I want to ask you, what is the foundation that you're building your life on? It doesn't do you any good this morning to hear all of this and not think about what it means to you. What is the foundation that you are building your life on? Is it something you even give conscious thought to? Do you, do you stop and think about it? Maybe you're too busy ticking all the things that you put on your calendar and your schedule off and getting the job done and, and making sure you see friends and having time for a social life and, and making sure that the house is clean and, and you got to make sure that you get stuff ready to be, to be able to go to work the next day. Maybe you're so busy running you don't spend, spend time thinking about it. Maybe you're concerned about what's going on with the kids and getting into all their stuff. Maybe you're worried about the bills getting paid. If we're going to be really honest with ourselves, I, I think that the foundation that a lot of us believe is our faith in Jesus is really little more than our finding comfort in His forgiveness. It makes us feel better. And we call that faith. We call that foundation. Our, our real foundation, the thing that we really trust, is our own hard work. It's whatever's in the bank. It's whatever we're building for ourselves. It's our retirement. Maybe our not-so-humble pride that at least we're better than the people that we know. Because that's a big one, right? At least I'm not as bad a sinner as them. Jesus never told you to be a better sinner than someone else. Jesus didn't die so that your sin didn't look quite so bad compared to your neighbor. Paul, in fact, tells us to be like him the way he is like Christ. The Bible tells us that as we grow in faith, as we grow in disciples, we grow in the image and likeness of Jesus. Are you building your foundation on that? See, building a foundation in Jesus begins with accepting the free gift of salvation that God offers you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It believes with recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. 
And so many of us just want to slip right by that and not even think about it. And then you choose to begin to live like the transformed new creation that God tells us to become. Tells us that we become, excuse me. God expects us to live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as the saint that he sees us as when we give our lives to Jesus. God doesn't ask us to live as a, as a two-hour Christian on Sunday morning and a six-and-a-half-day-a-week six sinner the rest of the week. Jesus died so that we could be the new creation, that we could be a saint 24-7. The strong foundation, the foundation that's built on the cornerstone, the foundation built on the rock is in Jesus. And God knows that that's not easy. So what will it be for you? Because now you've got to think about it. Can't say I didn't know. Can't say you haven't heard. What are you going to build your foundation on? Are you going to build your foundation on the solid rock, the cornerstone that is Jesus? Are you going to build your foundation on Jesus as your Savior, God's only Son? Or are you going to be the foolish person that thinks that your own hard work and best efforts are good enough and then you'll talk your way out of it when you get to heaven? I'll tell you this, no matter what you tell yourself now, when the storms come, and they will come, the storms will reveal your foundation. The storms will make it very clear what it is that you've built your life on because either you lean into Jesus or you become desperate wondering where he is. When the storms come, your foundation will be clear. And that's something that you want straightened out before this life is over. And if there's anything that we know, we have no idea how much time we have. So when is the time to take care of that business? Probably right now. If you don't call Jesus your Savior, if you don't know that you're a new creation, if you don't know that your, your uh, eternity is secure, that probably is something that you want to get straightened out. Let's pray. God, these words of Jesus are hard. They, they sound so simple. They sound easy. They're, they're, almost, they're almost like a fable as we read them. But the truth of them, the reality of them is so much deeper. And what we know is that Jesus spent his whole life serving people. He spent his whole life serving people. And then he died for our sins. So God, my, my prayer would simply be that every one of us would take stock to consider our foundation. Not the one that we say that we have, but the one that you know that we have. The real one. Is our true foundation built on you? Is our true foundation built on Jesus as our Savior, that without Him we have nothing? Or are we clinging to our own good, good deeds, hard work, best efforts? Because that's a foundation of sand. So God, I just pray that uh, Your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, that we would ask those questions truthfully. We'd come to real answers. And that for anyone who doesn't know You, who is not a new creation, who has not been saved from their sin, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would powerfully move in them, that they would call on the name of Jesus, not just to say his name, but to call on his name to be their Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, Wednesday nights, uh, we've got a thing going on here. Uh, we're doing a Bible study kind of a discussion video-led 
uh, while kids are doing their thing around here, we're in seven weeks called My Story. Every one of you is living a story, and you got the opportunity to be the story God created you for, or, or you live the story that you choose. And so we're taking a look at what does it mean to live the story that God created you for. And then after that, five more weeks, that still invites you to come along. Starts at 6.15. Uh, some good small group discussion time after that. And then after that, Pastor Jeff is going to lead one called Making Change. It's going to Just boy, have we got some stuff for you. Uh, new series starts next Sunday, First Peter. Uh, if you've read First Peter, it's got five chapters. We can't cover a whole chapter every week, but we're going to go for five weeks and we're going to cover a part of a chapter. So I would challenge you to read First Peter 1 between now and next Sunday. Then you'll be well prepared for Sunday's message. Also... Night of worship next Sunday. We're hoping to be outside, but depending on the weather, we may end up having to be inside. So let's just be flexible. Night of worship, 7 p.m. right here. You don't want to miss it. They are awesome. You want to be a part of that. Um, you know, maybe today is your day to begin to build or strengthen your foundation in Jesus. I was looking at Matthew 11. This came to my mind. Maybe this describes you because Jesus, this is what Jesus is talking about. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're weary, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If your life is something other than light, maybe the part that's missing is you're trying to do it all for yourself and you just need to ask Jesus to take it for you. And so what I'll leave you with is this, this last song that we're doing. I have learned to appreciate this more and more the more often that we sing it. Jesus is the one who takes the graves of our sin and turns it into gardens of his redemption. And we're the ones that get to live the life in that light. If you're not building your foundation on the solid rock that is Jesus, I would really challenge you to go home and think about that, pray about that. There's no better time to accept his gift of salvation than there is today. Take us out. With you.